Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for a spoiler-free review. We're here to go over the latest MCU movie, Eternals. Now, this has been out for a little over a week, and we were going to do this basically when it was released, but uh, myself and Colin sort of held off. We weren't too sure if Colin was going to see it in that opening week or what was happening. I ended up seeing it basically on opening day. And realistically, the only reason I did that was because if I didn't see it then, I probably wouldn't see it at all because a little movie called No Time to Die finally got released in Australia over the last couple of days. So therefore, this was really my only time. So it's just going to be me today. My name is Ben and this is Eternal. I don't actually have a quote. So little prepared I am when it comes to that. We don't usually do quotes in solo episodes, I feel. So uh, there you go. But yes, the, the latest MCU movie, the 26th film in total. We've officially surpassed James Bond movies now, the MCU. And a movie that's getting a bit of uh, slack out there. A lot of people saying this is a bad movie. A lot of people saying it's the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes and CinemaScore and all these kind of websites that uh, it's maybe the one that uh, finally the MCU's luck of pretty good films is finally running out. And I've got to say this right now, straight off the bat, that this isn't the best MCU movie. It's definitely not the worst MCU movie. It might be the most forgettable MCU movie because... As I'm sure any long-term listener of this show has heard myself and Colin talk a lot about when it comes to the MCU, that, uh, you know, we're, we're fans. I guess, like, most modern cinema goers are. We, we enjoy them, but the MCU doesn't really do anything too different. It's kind of the same stock standard movie that you get. And this year, this is the third one we've got. Obviously, Shang-Chi and Black Widow, both earlier this year, after a, a couple years away due to coronavirus and everything else in between. Heard Colin and I talk during Black Widow and Shang-Chi that those movies are fine, but they're nothing amazing and groundbreaking that is going to make you remember it. Gotta say, Eternals, pretty much the same. It's a pretty standard MCU movie. Having said that, though, gotta say, it is a very forgettable movie that this movie really just, I saw it a week ago and really did not stick with me in the slightest. It's, it's long, probably too long. There's stuff going on it, which I'm assuming is a lot of fan service for comic book fans, but it just, it's kind of there. And I've got to say straight away, the biggest problem probably with this movie is the, the overinflated cast. There's way too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to the cast of this one. And what serves a big problem with that is that everybody kind of seems bored in this movie. Nobody really has energetic personality and even sort of the, the comic relief style characters that you get in the MCU 
kind of bland. They're not really that exciting. There's a couple of bits where you kind of laugh at, and you're like, oh, ha, ha, ha. That's kind of funny. Um, Kumal Nanjini, uh, probably the one there with a few moments. But outside of that, it's like, well, you know, eh, fine. Um, I'm a massive Angelina Jolie fan, and, and maybe kind of the one person I was like, cool, Angelina Jolie in an MCU movie, but meh. She kind of just phoned it in. Selma Hayek kind of phones it in. Our main stars of this movie, Gemma Chan and Richie Madden, kind of both phone it in. And it's just really a, an overall phoned-in movie. And that kind of, I think, is where the, the problem is. It's a interesting premise. Uh, basically, a bunch of alien beings live on the Earth and are there to protect the Earth from a whole group of evil beings. And essentially, they can't interact with humans in terms of stopping human warfare and other things happening that there's a line in the movie where somebody's like well why didn't you help stop thanos and it's like well we can only help stop the deviants we can't get involved in human interaction so throw in line so that people like myself cannot nitpick and go where were they in the avengers and things like that so explain that way and essentially throughout that as being the the main plot you know these these creatures or aliens are like five thousand years old and a lot of shit goes down essentially and then they've all got to kind of come back together and get the squad back and you know the usual MCU drill so a um, couple of twists and turns along the way and everything else there as well but honestly again I'm sitting here recording this I think like 10 days after I saw this film and I'm struggling to even remember anything outstanding about it visually the film looks amazing the, the special effects I mean we don't often talk about these I feel in a lot of movies now that that the special effects are just kind of there and standard. And I was actually, one thing I remember thinking in this movie, I was kind of like, well, we've kind of, have we reached peak special effects now? This is it. Like everything that we see is just literally what we expected to be, that everything's just so realistic and amazing that, you know, we're never going to question anything. So um, it's a given that the special effects are going to be great. I mean, when you've got a budget of 200 million bucks in uh, 2021, you're going to have pretty good uh, looking uh, film visually. But it's just everything else that just gets dragged along with it. I said the cast, the, the plot, it's not really convoluted. I mean, there's kind of like stuff that happens as a bit of a twist. You've got to think a little bit with it, but then you kind of just almost forget about it and kind of just move along with it. Um, and just not only are the cast kind of boring, I mean, it's a big cast. There's like 10 or so main characters in this film. Some of them you just, you literally forget are even part of this group and then they kind of show up when they need to and then they disappear when they need to. And it's just a little bit all over the shop when it comes to that. And I guess we're obviously in this new phase now, the MCU, where we're, you know, so not connected to everything that has happened before Avengers Endgame. I mean, yes, we had Black Widow, you know, sort of an OG Avenger, and then kind of we've moved now into Shang-Chi and Eternals, which Shang-Chi, of course, had a bit of a connection to those old school characters in the in the mid-credit scene. This one sort of does in the mid-credit scene, but I mean this again being someone who's not overly when i say familiar with the mcu i've seen all the movies but probably out of the 26 films i've seen 22 of them once uh only a couple of others have i seen multiple times so you know it's it's kind of just off the top of my head this is almost one of the more original standout ones where yeah it's connected but it doesn't feel super connected. You get the dropping of the word Thanos, you know, and, and things like that. But And you, you sort of get, I think they mentioned the the purge, the half population getting killed or the, the click or whatever it was called. So, you know, you've got these mentions that obviously tied in because it's an MCU movie, but it still also feels very standalone. I, I, if you watch this film, 
not having any clue what the MCU was, you could just pick it up and, and watch it. And I'll say that I like that. You hear us talk a lot about when we do DCEU movies that the DCEU kind of has their movies now not so much connected to each other. They're more standalones with loose connections. And whereas MCU seem mainly concerned about connecting everything back to front. So that I kind of like. But it's just hard to follow the amount of cast that is in this movie. And, you know, you, you, some of these twists and turns, like Angelina Jolie's character at one point, there's kind of a twist with her that you think is going a different direction than it doesn't. And then all of a sudden there's a character that something happens to them and you're thinking, okay... And then this happens and that happens. And, and even a pretty significant death at one point in this film, you, you it's kind of, you don't actually realise who it is who's died, even though they say that person's name. But because there's so many people in this movie, I couldn't keep track of any other names. I'm, I'm mainly looking at these characters by their actors' names, as we often do here in the Aussie. I'm like, oh, it's Angelina Jolie. There she is. Um, so it's a bit all over the shop in that case. But it's just, it's just that, it's, as much as that, individuality of an MCU film kind of standing on two feet I like. It's just it's just the personality of this film. And and I definitely think that MCU movies go too far sometimes of the quirks and the quips and the comedy and you know, sometimes you just need to just just take a take a bit of a pause and go, okay, well this is a bit too much. And this movie kind of does that, but then it just lacks personality. It really lacks personality. There's just you don't walk out of this going, oh, I love that character. Oh, I love that character. You know, I, I couldn't even tell you who my favourite character is in this movie because legitimately they're that kind of bland and wooden. And I don't know if it's a case of a lot of these characters don't really have chemistry off each other. You know, sort of even, as I mentioned, the main two, Richie Madden and Gemma Chan, like they're sort of meant to be together, but you don't really get any chemistry, be it just on-screen presence or sexual chemistry between these two you just you just don't feel it and this is a rare mcu movie where we we don't get a sex scene as such but we kind of get a a post-sex scene which is top of my head i can't really remember man any mcu movies kind of having two naked characters like in a bed or something like that together so that was kind of interesting but you just don't feel it and one thing i'll say is that i'm not really familiar with richard madden and i I didn't know sort of these rumors going around at the moment that he's one of the favorites to be cast as an exchange bond. One of the first things I saw when I, I saw him on my screen was like, wow, this guy, he looks good. He could be a good James Bond. He's got like a, a, a look about him and a presence from like, Hey, that guy, whoever it is, good James Bond. But I, if that, if this is how he acts in every movie he's been in, I don't want him to be James Bond. Cause he's bored. He's boring. And like, I don't want my James Bond to be bored and boring. So, yeah, it, it's it's just interesting, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with Gemma Chan, I, I have no clue who she is, and similar thing, she she looks good, she looks the part, like she looks like she's a movie star and kind of got that on-screen presence physically, but she's just bland, she's got no screen presence on, on screen, literally, she just really kind of comes across as bland, and she's kind of the main eternal, really without sort of going over and, and spoiling everything. But she's just she's just got something about her which is just it just flat. It just falls flat and everybody does in this film. It really do. I mean there's some good stuff in terms of uh, I know a lot of press has kind of been around. There's a there's a same sex couple in this film and it's done in such a way that it's it just it's just done. It's just like it's it's played off as this is a normal thing. We're not going to, you know, put a massive focus on, hey, everyone, look, a gay couple. Like, and that's constantly what Colin and I have talked about as 
this is what you need in cinema. You don't need to always make it a thing because a same-sex relationship is as normal as a, a, a opposite-sex relationship, a straight relationship. So why do we need to emphasize everything like, oh, look at us being progressive. There's a gay couple. Like, no, just, like, pass it off as here's two guys who are together. They've got a loving family. They've got a loving relationship. Why do we need to make our audience think that that's any different to if it was a man and a woman? And I, I, I applaud this. I like the fact that they do this in this movie. Um other than that, I mean, this is a tricky one to kind of do by myself. I did Knit Tram by myself. I did this one. We're going to drop another review, which I'll mention at the end of this episode tomorrow, which is a Ben Waterworth by himself type of episode. But I just don't really have a whole lot more to add on this. Um, Chloe Zhao, the the director of this film, um, I obviously this year I skipped the, the Oscars uh, in terms of kind of the, the best pictures and everything along those lines. So um, did not. Uh, watch um, her movie Nomadland, of course, uh, which won Best Picture and Best Director. So uh, I'm not familiar with Chloe Zhao's work. Um, I mean, this movie looks great. It kind of, as I said, it, it fits together well, and there's I don't think there's any problems with the directing of this movie. Um, and uh, she also was involved in the screenplay as well. So uh, she, she obviously has a big hand in this film as well. So, uh, look, there's no problems on the technical side of things and, and everything along that way. So... It's, um, yeah, but it's, look, the thing that I just kind of get out of it is that if you're going to be re-watching the MCU and, and there's now 26 films, about to have 27 with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home coming out in uh, essentially a month, you know, this is definitely one of those ones where you could either skip or I feel you're not going to really remember and you're only really going to remember it because it's a newer one. So hypothetically... January rolls around and you're like, boom, happy 2022. I'm going to watch, you know, 1 through to 27 from January 1st through to January 27th. You're probably going to remember this mainly because it's going to be the second last film you end up watching. And obviously it's going to be one of the more recent ones you watch. I mean, I I ranked all the Marvel films, uh, the MCU films, I think back around uh, Thor da- uh, Ragnarok, which was the first movie I saw in, on the big screen outside of The Incredible Hulk. I did see that way back in the day. But in terms of... I've seen every MCU movie now at the cinemas since Ragnarok. I, I, I have not ranked anything post Thor Ragnarok from memory. I might have, maybe I did. I can't really. Maybe I went up to Ant Man and the Wasp, or did I go up to Captain Marvel? I can't remember. The point is, off the top of my head right now, of twenty six films, not even remembering my own rankings, this would solidly be in the bottom half, bottom ten probably. Um, I mean, look knowing the ones that I know and remembering the ones that I, I remember, I could easily, um, you know, put a whole bunch ahead of this. So, but having said that, and again, I, I always want to preface this by pointing out that I'm not, I prefer the DCEU. I've never been a mad MCU fanboy. Again, I enjoy the films. I generally will always go and see one now at the big screen since I caught up. And as I said, I've seen everyone now since Ragnarok, and it's just, it's kind of a thing. I, I I think I said this during Shang-Chi and Black Widow. I wouldn't have gone to see those films if I maybe wasn't on this streak that I'm on. And, you know, it, it kind of almost, I feel obligated to go see an MCU film now on the big screen. Even though, realistically, if I'm being completely honest with you, they're the type of movies now, outside of a couple like, say, Spider-Man or, you know, a Doctor Strange or an Ant-Man, you know, the sort of the, the ones that I enjoy that I would just gladly wait for them to be on streaming or Blu-ray and, and, and just wait for it, you know. But I, I kind of, you know, it's almost that cinematic experience that you kind of got to have with one of these films. And I will say, this this looks good on a big screen. The, the, the finale, 
one thing I actually really liked about the finale is they kind of go this route with, I guess, the big final battle where without really giving it away, you've kind of got this mammoth object, which is just, it's it's the biggest probably object you've ever seen in an MCU film. And the sheer size of it is incredible on the big screen. It You feel, you feel little in front of this giant object. And I love that. I thought that was cool. So I'm glad I saw that on the big screen. One problem I had, though, and if you listen to our No Time to Die spoiler episode over on 007, because just quickly, obviously, we did the spoiler-free review here on the Oz Network, and I'm sure that Noah and Colin mentioned the spoiler review might be coming to the Oz Network, but it's available on 007 now if you want to hear my thoughts as well as Colin and Noah's with spoilers, because that is a movie that is easier to talk about when you can talk about spoilers. But... I said in that episode about when I saw No Time to Die that I was in a, a proper cinema, like I had good surround sound, good, you know, everything along those lines. The cinema I saw this in, and also the cinema I had seen Shang-Chi in uh, a couple of weeks beforehand, it's almost like they had turned the volume down or they hadn't got it in surround because it was very muffled sort of sound, like almost sound that you would just get from a, an old school uh, analog TV. And I, I almost felt tempted halfway through the film to just kind of go to one of the cinema attendees. I'm like, is there something wrong with the sound? Like it just... I feel like I'm in a cinema watching a big screen movie. I need to have some good sound behind me. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that is a film thing or it was just literally, I'm assuming it's just a cinema I was in because I can't imagine this is a film with different sound on. I haven't seen any sort of uh, criticism or everything along those lines of that. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And, and Colin sort of, I feel he's going to go see it still, but uh, he sort of said to me, like, just do the review. He's not sort of rushing out to see this. I think he's seen No Time to Die Now a couple of signs. I think he's seen June. So um, he's he's definitely uh, going out of his way to uh, not rush into seeing this one, which honestly, yeah, probably a good thing. Look, I'll, I'll, be, I'll say one thing. To keep my streak up, my MCU streak up, again, I'm glad I saw this when I saw it, because right now I'm telling you now, with with my mind really focused on No Time to Die, having seen it twice already, probably going to go see it for a third time in a couple of days. I'm so focused on No Time to Die right now that I really probably wouldn't have given a shit about this film at all. Uh, so I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I did end up going to see it when I did. Uh, and just quickly, I mean, I sort of mentioned about how this is getting some pretty mediocre reviews. 47% of Rotten Tomatoes, the lowest of any MCU so uh, I think a lot of um, press around this is saying it's it's a bad film, um, and that obviously it's kind of it's missed the mark when it comes to the MCU kind of, and and this is obviously what Colin and I have talked a lot about. Kind of, they're just your stock standard films now. Um, but like this is the first one a lot of people are saying is finally like it's lost the plot. And if I'm looking here now at the overall ratings of Rotten Tomatoes from all 26 films, this is by far the lowest. This is the first MCU film to ever go under 50%, believe it or not. It's a 47, as I said. Next one up, for The Dark World, which is, yeah, one of my bottom movies, 66%. Credible Hulk at 67 That's a bit unfair. I think The Incredible Hulk's a bit underrated. 72% for Iron Man 2. Yep, that's one of the bad ones. Age of Ultron. I know Colin hates Age of Ultron, but I'm kind of just in the middle there. And this hurts my feelings. Thor, the first Thor, as uh, you can hear, even my computer's validating that I um, hurt my feelings here. 77%. I think the first Thor is incredibly underrated. Uh, and for those playing at home, uh, Black Panther still number one, 96%. And Shang-Chi sitting at 92%. Wow, that's a very high score for that one. Um, even on Metacritic, this is the lowest, 52. And uh, the cinema score as well is also the lowest, a B currently. So, yeah, heavily the lowest in terms of the critical ones. But, again, I right now, 
I wouldn't say this is the worst MCU film. Uh, if I'm being completely honest with you, and this is the Ben Waterworth opinion, which clearly probably doesn't matter, right now off the top of my head, Thor The Dark World, a worse film than this. Captain Marvel, a worse film than this. Iron Man 2, worse film than this. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that I didn't really like. Um, yeah, uh, look, I'm not a Black Panther fan, but Black Panther's a better movie than this. Um, God, this is great podcasting. You're welcome. This is where we usually have Colin. Um, Shang-Chi, there's a, there's a good one, I think, in terms of that it was fine. Um, yeah, Shang-Chi was more enjoyable than this. So, Black Widow, more enjoyable than this. So, so far in 2021, the third... Uh, best MCU film. So, but it's kind of funny because it's also I feel I feel very bad for this film because I feel like it's just kind of been shoved into this weird spot. Obviously, with uh, Corona and everything else with the pandemic and kind of how this has been shafted and all the MCUs, we've got a unique thing of having four MCU films this year. But I, I feel like they should have spread them out a little bit more than the way they did because what we had Black Widow, what was that like July? I think it was uh, Shang Chi in September. You had a, you know a couple of months for each of them to breathe. You've got Eternals, and then essentially a month later, Spider Man's dropping. And let's be honest, everyone is excited for Spider Man. I think that is literally an MCU movie that I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gang busting for Spider Man. Spider Man's probably behind Superman, my favorite superhero. The the premise of this next movie excites me. You've got Doctor Strange and this multiverse idea. Obviously, we've got Doc Ock returning. It looks like we're probably going to have uh, Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin. If you believe the trailer, I'm I'm crossing these fingers and toes for a Tobey Maguire return. Uh, I I'm going to do what I did with No Time to Die and avoid complete spoilers there. So uh, hopefully, if that happens, uh, I it, it's vindication for what we got in the Rise of Skywalker with no fucking Hayden Christensen cameo. All right, this is my Tobey Maguire cameo. Andrew Garfield cameo, I want it. I'll be happy with the Kirsten Dunst cameo. So, like, just bring it on, I say. So, yeah, I feel bad for this movie kind of being dropped so close to it because I don't know if that's just a deliberate thing by Marvel and Disney because they kind of thought, okay, this isn't one of our best. So let's just kind of put in there a month before we get this and then all of a sudden, boom, we get Spider-Man because... Looking at how the movies are coming out next year, we've got three next year with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Black Panther. So three kind of established franchises back to the roots of sort of that original gang I was talking about earlier. And they're all they're all spread out. I mean, we don't get another Marvel movie until May after Spider-Man. Then Thor is in July and then November for Black Panther. Kind of that traditional window which they usually do the MCU movies in. So it's interesting to see that. So feel sorry for the Eternals just in the fact that maybe it wasn't given a better chance to breathe a little bit more. And again, maybe it's done a little bit deliberately. I will say the mid and post credit scenes, again, I think they're a lot more fan servicey for people who I think are, are really familiar with the MCU and, and really know the comics. There's a, the mid season, the mid credits one, it's probably the biggest connection to sort of the old school gang, the previous phases with a bit of a reference to a past character and this character who returns and played by a somewhat famous actor. Well, are they an actor, though? They're a, they're a famous person who is now acting. Let's just point it that way. I shouldn't say that. I've seen him in other things, and he's a, he's a, he's a good actor. If you didn't know who he was before becoming an actor, you would just think he's a, he's a stock standard actor. And I, I will say, too, I, I'm not... Everyone who, who, who's a long-term listener of my opinions and things like that knows that I have never watched an episode of Game of Thrones in my life. The majority of cast from Game of Thrones, I don't have a clue who they are. So Kit Harrington to me, is just an actor. I don't know him from Game of Thrones. He's in this film, and then I didn't actually even realise that was him till after. Because, again, I barely know what the guy looks like. And... When I realised that was him and I realised sort of a, a scene that comes with him in this movie, it made sense because I'm thinking now, it's like, well, Kit Harrington's a 
somewhat big-name actor, and he's got a pretty limited role in this movie. He really doesn't appear much in it, but then one scene kind of changes that, and you're like, okay, now I see what they're doing with Kit Harrington. you know, TV's Kit Harrington. So, yes. Um, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to add. Probably waffled on for a whole bunch here. I am renting this movie. It's it's a very low rent. I mean, it's definitely not a buy. It's it's not a bin though. I, I don't think I can bin this movie. It's 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 not terrible. Like, I mean, if I was flicking channels one night and this was on TV and I might watch some of it. You know, there, there's nothing I'm gonna all of a sudden think like, oh, Eternals, I hate that movie. Um, but I, there's a lot of movies. Look, our co-listeners from 007 over to here, everyone knows that my least favourite James Bond movie is Moonraker. I would rather watch Moonraker than Eternals. So um, that probably sums it up for you there. Uh, but having said that, this isn't a terrible film, but go see No Time to Die instead. It's a better movie, a much better movie. Um, maybe wait till this comes out in Disney Plus to catch it, you know, and or just save those pennies and wait for Spider-Man Far From Home because... Uh, no Way Home, sorry. There's too many homes in the Spider-Man franchise now. Uh, the, the trailer for that, obviously, I've seen a bunch of times now on the big screen, but it's looking good. It's looking good. So uh, I, I'm excited. That's, I, I can firmly say right now, the next MCU movie I am excited for. And I will say, actually, all the next. So the next... Uh, well, the next three I will be excited for. I'm obviously not a massive Black Panther fan, so... Black Panther will kind of forever. I think, like most of us, we're probably going to be more intrigued to see what they do, obviously, since uh, the the death of Chadwick Boseman. So that will be sort of the more intriguing fact. But Spider-Man No Way Home, very, very excited for. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I mean, perfect timing for that to come out after Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm Obviously, there's going to be a, some connections there, probably, and I'm a massive Doctor Strange fan. Remember, that was my second favourite after Ant-Man, and I love Benedict Cumberbatch, and I love saying his name, Benedict Cumberbatch. So we're going to get more of Benedict Cumberbatch uh, coming soon in Spider-Man. And then Thor Love and Thunder, because Natalie Portman's back, and I love me some Thor. I actually uh, am a bit of a Thor fanboy. Uh, and Taika Waititi back at the helm. Ragnarok's one of those ones which kind of it, it deviated, of course, from the original Thor, the two Thor movies. But then it's kind of one of those ones the more and more I sit on, it actually excites me. So uh, I'm interested to see that. And, of course, Sam Raimi is directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse. Man. Why they didn't get Sam Raimi to do Spider-Man No Way Home? That's... Could have been a great back thing to get to the Sam Raimi trilogy of Spider-Man. So, potentially some Spider-Man connections coming up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Stay tuned. Eternals, rent it. Yeah, hold off. See it on streaming. It's okay. Uh, in the meantime, I will say tomorrow, we uh, I, I teased at a, another review episode. And it's one that we don't really do. We don't really do TV show reviews. We, we've done a few. We did The Mandalorian last year, the, the finale. Obviously, we did the Mighty Ducks Game Changers this year. I've done Lunatics in the past. Uh, it's something we don't really do. We kind of save TV shows for recaps. But I it's going to be a me episode again. Uh, I will bring you a spoiler-free review of American Crime Story Impeachment, or Impeachment American Crime Story, whichever way you want to call it. So this is the third season of American Crime Story. Now, I'll just kind of preface this. I'll talk more about this in the episode, which we're dropping tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day of releasing, is that in my top 10 TV shows of the decade that we did, American Crime Story was my number one show of the decade. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I believe it even made my top 20 TV shows of all time. Uh, the two, the first two seasons of American Crime Story is some of the best television series I've ever watched in my life. And I was frothing at the bit for this season to come out. I am a mad fan of the show, but also the subject matter. 
around the uh, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky impeachment uh, situation in the 90s. I'm, I'm weirdly fascinated by US presidents. So uh, this was something that I was always very, very excited for. So I'm looking forward to bringing you that episode to give you uh, my take on the third season of American Crime Story. Again, a unique episode. We don't often do these, but uh, it's, it's one that I feel the need to talk about. So uh, it will just be me again. If you don't like me, skip that episode. Wait to the following day when you hear Colin and myself talk about 24. You're welcome for the warning. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Oz Network. Remember Patreon, all the fun stuff you hear at the end of this episode as well. My name is Ben, and insert quote from Eternals here. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>